Now, I don't remember much from college, but I do remember what my mentor told me over and over and over again with a great earnestness. He said, pursue men because they will not pursue you. And what he meant is that in adulthood, friendship does not just happen. I thought it was strange advice. A little over eager. I looked around at my college buddies, all of my college buddies, and I thought, how could friendship be hard? But then I graduated from the friend farm that is college and entered into adulthood. And as the years went by, the more isolated I became. I'm being honest. And so my mentor's words started to haunt me. See, he knew that there were a lot of obstacles to healthy friendships in our day. I came across this list of three obstacles, three, you could call them modern myths to friendship. Three obstacles, three modern myths that prevent friendship. And the first is excessive individualism. I mean, this is, I think, the number one myth of our day that wreaks so much havoc on our relationships. Wesley Hill says this, the myth that the less accountable and anchored I am to a particular relationship. Again, the myth that the less accountable and anchored I am to a particular relationship, the better able I am to find my truest self. And secure real happiness. He goes on. If your deepest fulfillment is found in personal autonomy. Which just means if your deepest fulfillment is found in being an individual with no need of anyone else. Then friendship is more of a liability than an asset. Amen. Isn't that true? That's the logic. If I am more truly human when I do not have attachments, then friendship is a liability. And that's a myth that is killing friendship. There's another myth. It's called the myth of excessive acquisition. The myth that we've all bought into that the purpose of life is acquiring more and new. So how does an old friendship fit into that myth? It doesn't. An old friendship is not more, and it's not new. There's a third myth, excessive mobility. Excessive mobility, the myth that you aren't living unless you're moving. We don't stay put anymore. It doesn't take much to ask and find the connection between that myth And a difficulty in maintaining friendships. Excessive mobility. Oh, my mentor was right. He was so right. Pursue friendship because it will not pursue you. But it feels impossible, doesn't it? We need a lot of grace and we need a lot of wisdom. And that's why I love Proverbs, because Proverbs assumes that we need a lot of help in this area. 
this basic relationship, Proverbs speaks to time and time again. I counted 53 verses that speaks to friendship. So our Father in heaven wants us to have friends, good friends. And Proverbs is proof. You can divide all of these 53 verses, and I won't go through all 53. I've picked out ones uh, that are most helpful, but then you can comb through Proverbs yourself and find them and attach them to this structure. But you can divide these 53 verses on friendship into basically two categories. Warning against junk relationships or junk friendships or bad friendships or unhealthy friendships. And then encouragement towards healthy friendships. God tells us to reject unhealthy friendships and to cultivate healthy friendships. And so what does that mean? We'll begin with the first, rejecting unhealthy friendships. Proverbs is shot through with warnings against unhealthy friendships. What is an unhealthy friendship according to Proverbs? Well, I see three main categories of an unhealthy friendship. And this is how I'll say it so that you can remember it. It's the category of no friends Faux friends and low friends. Okay, so no friends or isolation, faux friends or false friends, low friends, friends who bring you low, friends who friends who drag you down, friends who are toxic, as we say it. So let's look at each in turn. Uh, the first warning in Proverbs is against living life with no friends. We'll be doing a lot of flipping on the, of, the, of your Bible this morning. And so if you want, you could turn to Proverbs 7, verse 7. No shame in just listening as I read along. But I always like to hear those pages flipping. It means you're engaged. You're checking me. You know, checks and balances are good with your pastor. So Proverbs 7, 7 describes a, a young man falling into temptation. And he's doing so by himself in isolation. Where are his friends? <coughs> there are none. I've seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense. And it goes on to talk about the temptation gripping him in total isolation. The 20th century martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he writes this, Sin demands to have a man by himself. Sin demands to have a person by himself or herself. It withdraws them from the community. Sin demands that. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him, and the more deeply he becomes involved in it. And then therefore, the more disastrous is his isolation. It's this really destructive Feedback loop of isolation and sin. This is why Proverbs 18.1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. That's a warning of no friends. Now, what about faux friends? Proverbs warns us against false friends. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin. 18.24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So it may be 
that you have many, well, you don't have friends, you actually have companions. That could be possibly true. And I think that was largely true of my college experience. I had a lot of companions. Proverbs 14.20 says this about companions. 14.20 says, The rich have many, air quote, friends. You see what that proverb is saying? The rich has many friends. Wharton professor Adam Grant, he says that there are givers and takers in life. And what is being described here in Proverbs and many other Proverbs as well is that there are people in your life, companions, who are takers only. And so when you don't have what they want to take from you, they disappear. They're nowhere to be found. They're air quote friends. They're companions. They're faux friends. And then Proverbs also warns us against low friends. These are people in our life who bring us low. Low friends are, according to Proverbs, very dangerous. If you look at chapter 25, 19. 25, 19 says, trusting in a treacherous man in a time of trouble is like a bad tooth or a foot that slips. In other words, unreliable friends are dangerous. They're like, they're like chewing with a loose tooth or going on a hike with a broken ankle. That's how painful and awkward and terrible an untrustworthy friend is, an unreliable friend. Uh, the, the clinical psychologist, and he's a Christian, Dr. Henry Cloud, he would encourage us to pursue what he calls safe people. Safe people. He says, when you're thinking about friendships, think about safe people. Now, maybe some of you are thinking, because this is my disposition immediately, but we're Christians, right? We're supposed to befriend everybody. That is so exclusive. Right? But he writes this. And it's challenging to me. He says, many times Christians do not think of evaluating the character of those that they choose to be in relationships with. They often think that to do so would be to be judgmental. He goes on, certainly we are not to play God and judge someone's eternal state as the judge of the universe will, but we are commanded to judge in the sense of evaluating others in terms of our deciding to have close fellowship with them. Proverbs says, amen. They're dangerous. And they're also what I'll call deformative, deformative, the opposite of formative. They're deformative. They deform us. Proverbs 1320 says this. If you want to turn 1320 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. (laughs) So if you become a companion with fools, you will suffer harm. Derek Kidner calls this verse education by friendship. Friendship. 
You could say that bad friends or being a companion of fools gives you a miseducation. Because friendship is formative. Proverbs has such a high view of friendship. Because Proverbs understands that the way God created the universe and the way God created you and created me is relationally. And the friendships that we have, the deepest relationships that we have, shape us, form us. And we don't believe that because we're moderns and we think that we're an island unto ourselves. But our friendships have deep, deep, formative power. Which is why we have warnings against companionship with fools. New research confirms this. At the University of Virginia, they interviewed 169 15-year-olds. And then 10 years later, they, they circled back and they found that those with healthy, stable friendships, adolescent <laughs> friendships, had lower mental health problems when they were older. They write, and I'm quoting, bonds in adolescence have an outsized role in a person's mental health. Again, I think Proverbs says Amen. Friendship is formative. And I don't think we give enough attention to the power, therefore, of unhealthy friendships. Pastor Tim Keller writes, In the early stages of your life, you were shaped most by your family. Now, if you don't believe that, we got another sermon coming. Just wait. But for the rest of your life, you will be shaped largely by your friends. So I encourage you to do a friendship inventory. I, I don't want you to overthink this. But I think Proverbs is encouraging all of us, myself included, to be honest with ourselves. Are you isolated? Are your Friendships shallow. Do you have companions and acquaintances and affiliations? But no brother that sticks close. No deep friend. No true friend. I mean, acquaintances and affiliations are amazing. They're very important. But if that's all you have, be honest. Be honest. Are your friendships largely toxic? Do you have enablers in your life who just scratch your itch and say what you want them to say to you? Or do you have manipulators in your life, abusers, takers? Then let's make a plan to move out of those friendships and into healthy friendships. Which takes us to our second point. What makes a good friendship? We need to know what makes a bad friendship, hence the warnings. But we also need to know what uh, comprises a healthy relationship according to Proverbs. And as I studied these, these many verses on what a good friend is, I saw two both and tensions at play. The first is a combination of truth and grace. And the second is a combination of intimacy and independence. And so we'll explore both of these tensions right now. 
A good friendship is marked first by truth and grace. Comfort and confrontation. Both have to be in the friendship for it to be a healthy friendship. You have to have both. But taking each in turn, let's take a look at what Proverbs has to say about friendship being truth-telling. Friendship is about truth-telling in two important ways. A good friend, a healthy friend, is both your counselor and your challenger. Proverbs 27.9 describes the counselor role of a good friend. 27.9 says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes with his earnest counsel. The sweetness of a friend comes with his earnest counsel. And so we need friends who can give us good counsel. We need friendships that are based on truth, not lies. And a relationship that is based on truth or a friendship that is based on truth means that you have someone in your life that is willing to give you counsel to speak into your life. And connected to that is their challenge role. Proverbs 27, 6. Take a look at this. This one's important. They're all important. Come on. But 27, 6 is very important. It says this. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Many, or profuse, are the kisses of an enemy. And isn't that what we do? We like to bring in people who will kiss us. Metaphorically speaking. And Proverbs is saying, if all they're doing is kissing you, then they're your enemy. But, but how good it is to have a faithful friend who can wound you. What is a faithful wound? Well, I need my wife to tell me I have bad breath. And that hurts. <laughs> okay, that's, that's minor. But it's true. Because I can't tell I have bad breath. No one can tell they have bad breath. If you can tell you have bad breath, it's really bad, okay? You've gone really far. But typically, you just can't tell. And so someone needs to hand you a stick of gum, and they do so out of love. That is a faithful wound, friends. That is a faithful wound. When someone gives you a stick of gum or points at your fly, that is a faithful wound. <laughs> Proverbs 27, 7, the next verse says this, iron sharpens iron. Okay? Iron sharpens iron. And one man sharpens another. We need friends who can stand up against us. Do you remember Neville Longbottom in the end of Harry Potter book one? Remember him? Oh, I love Neville Longbottom. He says his friends, he sees his friends breaking the rules. I won't tell any spoilers. I've, I've been known to spoil Harry Potter, so I won't, I won't tell any spoilers. Actually, this is a small spoiler, I'm sorry. But he sees his friends breaking the rules and he stands up to them. And then in the short term, he pays. He pays. He gets frozen and falls. But then at the very, very end... Dumbledore awards him 10 points, which makes their house the winning house. They win the cup. And so in the long term, he wins. He is a faithful friend. He was able to deliver a faithful wound to his three friends, Ron, Harry, and Hermione. And he paid for it in the short term. Dumbledore says there are all kinds of courage. 
said Dumbledore, smiling. It takes a great deal of bravery to stand up to our enemies, but just as much to stand up to our friends. I therefore award 10 points to Mr. Neville Longbottom, right? That is beautiful. Good friends are truth tellers. But good friends are also grace givers in two important ways. They forgive and they encourage. Proverbs 10, 12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Love covers all offenses. So as forgiven sinners, we need to grow in our ability to forgive. And Proverbs uses the word overlook, even overlook the sins of another. Now, we're truth tellers, right? So if that sin is a destructive force, it's an unrepentant sin, it's wreaking havoc in their life, then we're going to speak truth into that, aren't we? Yes, we are, okay? We're going to do that. But on the other hand, I've seen friendships suffocate because all they are is confrontation. And there's no overlooking. There's no overlooking. There's no forgiving. It's just a constant confrontation fest. Who can confront more? And that ain't good. Love covers all offenses. A good friend is a forgiver. They're also an encourager. Proverbs 15, 17. 15, 17 says, Better is a dinner of herbs, meaning, you know, not much. Better is ramen noodles. Better is grilled cheese and tomato soup. Where love is, than a fattened ox or a T-bone steak and hatred with it. Wow. Isn't that true? Doesn't that ring true to your experience? You can have a baguette and a cup of water where love is. Where you can have everything you want where hate is. And which would you choose? You want the love. You want the encouragement. So what this means is we don't need to bring much into a friendship. If we encourage well. If we encourage well. If we love well. So truth and grace. Challenge and comfort. Both are vital. Think about it. If, if you are a friend or if you have a friend that only tells truth, then you have critics, not friends. And think about it, if you have a friend or you are a friend who is only sort of comfort and no truth, then you might just be an enabler to whatever's going on in their life where they need some truth. But a good friendship is marked by truth and grace. So that's the first tension, truth and grace. There's another tension, though, that's equally visible in the verses on friendship in the book of Proverbs. And I see it as this, a good friendship is marked by intimacy and independence. Closeness, but not codependency. Let me explain what I mean. First, good friends are intimate, and in two important ways. They are close and they are constant. Close and constant. So closeness first. Proverbs 18.24. Proverbs 18.24 reads this. 
A man of many companions. We've seen this already. A man of many companions or faux friends may come to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Read family member. One author points out that this was true even in a family-based culture. We're not really a family-based culture anymore. We're individualists, remember? That's what we are. Whether you admit it or not, we are an individualistic culture. Even if you have a family, we are individualists with families. But in the ancient culture, they were families in a family culture. And so for this proverb to say, there is such a thing as a friend who is closer than a family member, that is saying something. A good friend is close. That close. But then a a good friend is also constant. I think the intimacy that I'm after here is a constancy also. Proverbs 17, 17 says this. A friend loves sometimes. No, doesn't say that. Were you paying attention? A friend loves all the time. And a brother is born for adversary. That means that a true friend does not does not jump ship when the waves get scary. A friend loves at all time. Adversity does not deter them. You could say it this way. If a friend is not constant, they could just be a companion or an acquaintance. A friend is constant. Boy, is that a challenge in our, in our mobile age. But it's true. We can't deny it. If we deny it, it's like moving your hand up against the grain of a really poorly cut piece of wood. God created the universe a certain way. And our relationships and our friendships have a plan, an order. And constancy is part of that order. So a good friend is intimate through closeness and constancy. But a, but, a, but a good friend is also independent. And this is very important. Because sometimes we can talk about the glories of being close with somebody. And then what happens is you get a little bit um, unhealthy. Let me explain how. How can iron sharpen iron unless you're two separate identifiable pieces of iron? What can happen in friendships is you kind of just go like this. And then you're just a blob. You're enmeshed. You have no more identity. Uh, You lose your identity. Maybe you find your identity in the other person, the other friend. And that's when we stop telling truth. That's when we're blind to things. But... A good friend remains independent. Because how can you faithfully wound your friend unless you have an identity? So they remain different, even while pursuing closeness. We had marriage advice when, before we got married, my wife and I, along these lines. And it has been so helpful to us. They said to us, when you get married, you become one flesh. That's a mystery. But that doesn't mean like 50% Joe and 50% Josie into this blob. What it means is 100% Joe and 100% Josie into a mysterious one flesh. And that's the deepest friendship, isn't it? Marriage. 
Marriage is the deepest friendship. All of that, all that I'm saying here could be a marriage talk. Point is, the Lord is calling us to intimacy even while he's calling us to identity. And that identity is in Christ. So then we have difference, but we also have tact. I think we lose tact when we lose uh, this difference or independence. So 2520 says this, and this is a very important one. 2520 says, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day. Who like gets uh, the mail and it's cold and you're wearing like your pajamas. That shock that hits you. Or who is like into the fad of taking cold showers. Anybody? Anybody into that fad? I'm chasing that fad, so it's okay. Uh, that shock is like, is like what it means uh, when, when somebody sings songs to a heavy heart. When you're suffering, when you're having a hard day, when you're having a hard time, when things from the outside or the inside are afflicting you, and you have a friend with a permagran. Okay? One person writes this, If I can be content when you are sad, I'm not your friend. A good friend has tact. They are close. Close enough to know, but independent enough to be present and to minister, to give a good word in season, to encourage, to truth tell. You need both. Intimacy and independence. Intimacy, think about it, without independence is becoming enmeshed and it hinders growth. But independence without intimacy is no real friendship. I learned this in St. Louis. Uh, Probably my first deep friendship after college was in St. Louis when I was in seminary. And I'll I'll, I'll spare the details, but essentially my carpool buddy became a deep friend. And what was the ingredient of that friendship was this. We got to know each other. So there's intimacy in that way. But then he started to speak truth to me in a very loving way when I was very wrong on something. He was intimate enough to know me. He was independent enough to confront me. And that's how our friendship began. Truth and grace, intimacy and independence. How do we start? Well, start small. Start small. Ancient Christian communities, older Christian communities, they used to pray for one bosom friend. A bosom friend is a heart friend, a deep friend. And they used to just pray for one. Start small. Pray for one. After all, Jesus, who was the perfect friend, it appears had three bosom friends. Out of twelve close disciples out of who knows how many people. And so if the perfect friend can start small, so can you. So can you. Number two, I'll say this. Be a good friend. It's tempting to hear a sermon on friendship and to just think about your friends as opposed to your, what you contribute to that friendship. And so what I would encourage you to do is to commit not just to finding good friends or critiquing your friends, which is what's happening. I know what's happening. You're thinking through all your friends. You're like, hmm, are they an enabler? Hmm, are they toxic? You know, you're thinking this through. 
That's good. You should. But if all you do is think through others and you're not thinking about yourself, oh, how do I do this? How do I not do this? Then that's problematic. So commit to not just finding good friends, but being a good friend with the ones that you have. Remember, friendships do not just happen. And so you have friendships, and they're hard won. And so start there. This, of course, is super risky. I know it's risky because uh, someone might break the friendship. Some of you have broken friendships in your past. Uh, But let me just say this, and you can chew on it. The pain of a broken friendship is not a good enough reason to become isolated. Number three, don't settle. Don't settle for unhealthy friendships. Don't settle for digital friendships, please. Make this your fight in life. I mean, fight for this. Pursue others. They will not pursue you. Pursue healthy friendships. Because friendship will not chase you. Good friends are truth and grace Intimacy and independence. How can we cultivate these? Well, the final answer is this. And this is how we'll close. The final answer is Jesus. Because Jesus is the true and perfect friend. I mean, he says in John 15, 15, he says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servants does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Jesus calls you his friend. Jesus, who is truth and grace to you. Jesus, who, who, who loves you as you are, but also speaks into your life. All you have to do, and I encourage you to do this. I did this recently. Take the questions of Jesus in the Gospels and apply them to you. And you will see quickly that Jesus is a good friend who challenges you and who loves you. Who knows you fully, but loves you to that same extent. Jesus and only Jesus is the true and perfect friend. So, what that means is if you seek Jesus in your friendships, you're, you're up a creek. You really are. Because they will not be Jesus to you. But if you rest in the truth and grace that is Jesus and in His friendship, then you might just be free enough to pursue the friendships that are on display in Proverbs. He is truth and grace. He's intimate and independent from you. After all, He's intimate. We are in Christ. He is in us. It doesn't get more intimate than that. But you are not merged to Him like some pantheism. He is God. He is the Lord. He sharpens you. He is the true and perfect friend. Intimacy and independence. Rest in Him. Rest in His friendship. And then you might be free to explore friendships with greater health in your life. He's calling you to it. And He wants you to have it. So, Lord, we, we bring our friendships to you. Search them. Pray that we would experience growth and health in this fundamental relationship. Those of us who are isolated and we know it, give us the courage to pursue. Make that first step, that first email, that first phone call. Those of us who have been burned, just pray that we would not isolate ourselves, but instead see this as a gracious summoning to greater and fuller life. Or those of us who have deep friends, 
I pray that we wouldn't be on cruise control, but instead that we could be intentional. Lord, help us to be truth tellers to our friends. Help us to be grace givers to our friends. Help us to be intimate with our friends, deep as a brother, but also help us to remain in you so that we can be their friend. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.